Good morning. About two weeks ago, if you recall, I began a new series of messages entitled Questions, dealing with questions in the Bible, not necessarily questions about the Bible, but the questions that are in the Bible. Scholars estimate that there are about 3,300 questions in the Bible, and that's a lot of questions. (laughs) And we began two weeks ago with the very first question in the Bible, did God really say? Did God really say? Uh, Spoken from the mouth of the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say not to eat of every tree that is there in the garden? And so he questioned and attacked the authority of God's word. Eve ultimately chose to disobey God's command of not eating fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then Adam, her husband, who was not deceived by the serpent and who was with his wife the entire time, he also ate some of the fruit. And as a result, sin entered the human race and death through sin. There was no death prior to sin. Never forget that. No death prior to sin. Death is the consequence of sin. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. Now we stopped with verse 7 that week, but today I want to go back and pick up in that story with verse 6 and go on down through verse 13 in Genesis 3. And we're going to see the next four questions in the Bible. Notice what it says. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Second question. He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, third question, who told you that you were naked? Fourth question, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Fifth question, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the second question in the Bible is from the mouth of God when he asked Adam, where are you? That's the question I want you to chew on today. That's the question I want to ask you today. Where are you? Where are you? And I realize that there are numerous ways to answer that particular question. You can answer that question by saying, well, I'm at church worshiping God. And that's right. You could say, well, I'm at New Hope Christian Church. That's right. You could say, I'm at 10186 Bridgeport Road, Bridgeport, Illinois. And that's right. You can say, well, I'm on the north edge of Bridgeport, just past Rutgers Candy Buildings. And that's right. 
All of those answers are right, but the only thing those answers are addressing is what? Location. Physical location. But what if I'm asking for more than your physical location when I ask you, where are you? And then you've got to think a little bit harder about how you're going to answer that question, right? And again, there's a multitude of ways that you can answer that question. You can answer, well, I'm at the point in my life where I'm trying to choose a career path and what I'm going to do with my life. You could say, I have no idea where I'm at. I'm, I'm in a fog. I, I don't know where to go, where to turn. I, I'm just lost. Or, I'm at the point of despair. The love of my life, my spouse has died. I, I miss them so much, and now I don't know what to do with myself. I don't seem to have any real purpose in life. Or, I'm at the end of my career, getting ready to retire, looking forward to traveling a little bit, spending some more time with family and the grandkids. If God somehow spoke to you and asked you, where are you, how would you answer it? Today, I, I want to ask that question about some people in the Bible. And while you're chewing on it yourself, maybe by seeing where they were and what took them there, maybe you might be able to identify with one of them and hopefully... It'll get you to see where you need to be and how to get there. So let's start with Adam and Eve. God asked Adam, where are you? So answer the question. Where was Adam and Eve? Yeah, they're hiding among the trees of the garden. Why? Why were they there? Yeah. And I heard it over here too. Somebody said it a little louder. Sin. Sin. Sin, they, it separated them from God. Their sin had opened their eyes. They knew they'd done wrong. Now they realize they're naked. They don't want to face God in that state. And so they hid. Because sin separates you from God. They'd been in perfect fellowship with God until they sinned. But sin always will separate you from God. And I said last week, it's an old sermon outline that sin will take you further than you want to go, it'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you more than you want to pay. And you certainly see that with Adam and Eve. How far did sin take them? All the way out of the garden. Away from that perfect relationship with God they had previously had. It took them further than they wanted to go. How long did it keep them? rest of their lives, didn't it? Sure. For the rest of their lives, they would no longer have that perfect, sinless fellowship that they had experienced with God. So it kept them longer than they wanted to stay. How much did it cost them? Their lives. Because sin brings death. The wages of sin is death. Death came through sin. So it costs them much more than they wanted to pay. That's what sin does. So let me ask you this morning, is this where you're at? 
Are you separated from God right now in your life because of sin? Maybe you're here this morning, you've never accepted God's payment for sin, the blood of Christ. Never claim Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've heard about Him, you know how, how God loved the world so much He sent His Son, and how Jesus died on the cross because of our sins. He was buried, but He rose from the dead on the third day. He's ascended back into heaven. You, you've heard that He's going to return someday, but you've never, you've never claimed it for your own. God won't force Jesus on you. You have to willingly accept Him. And make Him the Lord of your life and live for Him. And today, you can walk out of this building in fellowship with God rather than separated from God by sin. But that choice is yours. Maybe you're here this morning and you've done that in the past, but now you've strayed from the path and it's led you to sin and you're no longer following the Lord and you know you need to return to Him. You know that he's a God that will forgive, but maybe you're just trying to hide from God because of your sin. And you realize, don't you, that you cannot hide from God? <laughs> he's all-seeing, all-knowing. You cannot hide from God. So why not make things right? Take care of the sin problem today so that you can be back in that right relationship with God. Sin separates you from God. And that's where Adam and Eve were at. You remember the prophet Elijah? Here's a second one. Elijah, where are you? Well, Elijah was in a cave. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 9 through 14, he had in just previous days won this great contest uh, on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. 450 prophets of Baal 400 prophets of Asherah, all whom ate at the table of Queen Jezebel. They were her prophets. You remember the story, don't you? I mean, Elijah set up the contest because Ahab and Jezebel uh, leading Israel, leading Israel to commit further sin by worshiping the Baals and the Asherah, the, the false gods, these idols. So Elijah proposes a contest. And... The people agree, Ahab agrees, they gather on Mount Carmel, and the contest, basically, Elijah says, all right, each one of us will offer a bull on an altar, but we won't set fire to the sacrifice. We'll call, call down fire from our gods, and the God who answers is the God we'll serve. And then he said to the prophets of Baal, you go first, <laughs> which I always love. <laughs> I just think, let's do this, and you go first. So... Anyway, they do. They call on the name of Baal to, to send down fire to consume this bull on their altar. They call out all morning long. Well, of course, he's a false god. He's an idol. There's no way he can answer because he's not a god. But they continue to call on him. And Elijah finally begins to mock them. Maybe your god's gone on a trip. Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's asleep and you need to yell a little louder. The scripture even infers that Elijah said maybe he's relieving himself. He mocked them. They began to cut themselves so that their blood was running, thinking their God would see their blood and then answer. But no answer came because Baal's not a God. 
There is no God but one. So at the time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah said, my turn. He repaired the altar of the Lord, had his bull put upon it. Then there were some water pots there. He said, pour that water on my sacrifice. He built, dug a little trench around his altar. He said, pour another one on, pour another one on. They poured enough water on it, drenched the sacrifice, drenched the altar, filled the little trench that he had dug around it. And then he called on the name of God and the fire came. You know the story. Consumed the sacrifice, consumed the stones of the altar, licked up every bit of water that was there. And the people said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said, don't let those false prophets escape. And he slew them right there on that mount. Well, when Ahab got back and told Jezebel what Elijah had done, Jezebel sent word to Elijah saying, by this time tomorrow, your life is going to be like the life of my dead prophets that you killed. I'm coming after you. And Elijah is scared and, and runs. Which, he, he's just won a great victory, stood up against all the false prophets, but he gets scared when Jezebel says, I'm going to take your life. And he flees. And finally flees to a cave on Mount Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai. And God asked him a question. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Elijah said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. So why was Elijah there? He was discouraged. He was depressed. He's afraid. He had stood strong against those false prophets. God had answered with fire from heaven. Now Jezebel threatens his life. He flees. Have you ever been so discouraged with life that you just withdrew and hid? Thinking no one cares. No one knows what I'm going through. No one appreciates what I've done. God, I've been a faithful servant. I've served you. I've stood up for you in the midst of the enemy. Why am I having to go through all this stuff that I'm going through? Listen, discouragement can cause you to withdraw and quit serving the Lord. And Elijah was discouraged. Now God still had work left for Elijah to do, and he tells Elijah what he wants him to do. Who to anoint his king here and king here and all of that. He also told Elijah, you're not the only one left. I have reserved 7,000 in Israel that haven't bowed the knees to Baal. By the way, discouragement's one of the reasons you need to be present at worship every Lord's Day. Not one Sunday a month, not two, not three, but every Lord's Day, you need to be in worship. If you're gone on a trip, if you're on vacation, great, take the trip, but be in worship on the Lord's Day. Why? Because of what Hebrews 10.25 says. Let's not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the habit of some, but what? But encouraging one another. Encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Our times of worship ought to be an encouragement to you. You get discouraged, you need to be here so you can be encouraged. 
Have your brothers and sisters in Christ come alongside of you and love you and comfort you and give you a hug and pat you on the back and strengthen you, whatever it is. Because if you're not here, you don't get that. And if you're not here, we don't get it from you because you ought to be a giver as well. Encouragement. And the longer you stay away, the easier it is to stay away and the more discouraged you'll become. It can cause you to withdraw from serving the Lord. If you're discouraged, you need to be around Christian people. Are you where Elijah was? What about Jonah? You remember Jonah? Jonah, where are you? Well, he's on board a ship trying to get as far away from where the God wanted him to go as he could possibly get. And you remember the story. God told him, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach against that great city because in 40 days I'm going to destroy it if they don't repent. And instead of going, Jonah goes the other direction. And when he's on board that ship, the great storm comes up. He finally lets it be known. All right, it's, uh, it's my fault. I'm running from God. Throw me in the sea and you'll be okay. They do. He's swallowed by the great fish, great creature in the sea. For three days and three nights he's there. and He finally he's prays to God. And that fish vomits him up on the beach right where he needs to be to go to Nineveh. And he does. He preaches that people repent, and Jonah is mad. He didn't want those people to repent. He wanted God to wipe them out. Those were his enemies. They didn't deserve to live. He disagreed with God, and it caused him to disobey. You ever disagreed with God? And has your disagreement with him led you to disobey him? That's what happened. That's, that's what happened with Jonah. That's why he was where he was. Why, God? That's the all-consuming question that comes when we question God's actions and when we disagree with him. Why? God, why, why don't you punish those people? Don't you know what they did? They don't deserve to live. God, why did you let my loved one die? You could have healed them. They could still have been here with me. God, why did you allow that person to be promoted over me? I've worked here longer. I've worked a lot harder than that person ever has. Why, God, I don't agree with what you're doing. You ever been there? You be careful when you question God's actions because it can lead you to disobey him. And you don't want to be in that position. You may just end up being engulfed in disobedience, just like Jonah was engulfed in the belly of that big fish. And you need to remember, when you don't understand what God is doing or why he's doing it, you need to remember Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And you need to trust that what God is doing is best. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you know it from memory, don't you? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. But have you ever been where Jonah was at? 
because you disagreed with God? What about Peter? You remember Peter? Old stick your foot in your mouth, Peter. The one that said, Lord, even if I have to die for you, I will never leave you. I'm going to be right by your side all the way. Well, Peter, where are you? In Luke chapter 22, verse 54. Well, he's following Jesus at a distance. Why? He's afraid to be recognized. He's afraid to be identified with Jesus. He's not by Jesus' side when Jesus was arrested. Following at a distance. And then, when they get to the courtyard of the house of the high priest, Peter doesn't go in with Jesus. He's outside by the fire. Again, not by Jesus' side. Why isn't he? he? Well, he's afraid to get too close. Afraid someone might recognize him as being a follower of Jesus. And then, even at the fire, when someone accuses him of being a follower of Jesus, he denies it. Not once, not twice, but three times. And after the third denial, Luke's account says the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. I wouldn't have wanted to have been the recipient of that glance. And Peter went outside and wept bitterly. But have you ever been where Peter was? Have you ever been afraid someone might recognize you as being a Christian? Have you ever walked away from someone kicking yourself for not taking a stand for Christ? Have you ever been so afraid of what people might think or what they might say about you that you've kept your mouth shut so you won't be identified as a follower of Jesus? You ever denied Jesus? You ever been where Peter was at? And Martha, in the New Testament, you remember Martha? Had a sister named Mary. And when Jesus and the disciples came to Mary and Martha's house, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, just taking in everything he's saying. And Martha, where's Martha? She's in the kitchen, making preparations for a big meal. And I can just imagine she's glaring at her sister, trying to get her to look like, get me in here. You, can, you know, and she's boiling over, and she gets so fed up, she goes in and explodes right in the middle of Jesus' teaching and says, Lord, don't you care my sister's led me to do all the work? Tell her to help me. <laughs> and Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are so busy, so worried and upset about many things, only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. You ever been there so busy with details and what is urgent that you miss what is most important? You miss the best because you're busy? Listen, the best and the most important are the eternal things, the spiritual things. The things that have eternal consequences, those are top priority. And I know I, life is busy. It seems like it's a lot busier than when I was younger. And if you've got kids, you know what I'm talking about. You're going in five directions at once because 
this one has ball practice and this one's going to camp and, and the one that had ball practice at the end has to get to someone's party and it just never ends. And if you're not careful, you'll get so busy rushing here and there that you will miss the things in life that are the most important. And you need to be careful. Don't neglect the spiritual things that have eternal significance. Those should be top priority. And John Mark, you remember John Mark? Acts chapter 13, he's in Jerusalem. That's where he's at. Why is he in Jerusalem? Because he quit. He quit. He was on a missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas. He quit and went home. And later on, when Paul and Barnabas get ready to go on a second journey, Barnabas wants to take John Mark again. And Paul says, oh, no. He, he left the first time, not taking him again. And Paul and Barnabas get into such a disagreement about it, they part company, and Paul takes Silas, and Barnabas takes John Mark. But have you ever been there? Have you ever quit? You ever stopped serving? And there's all kinds of reasons people give for quitting. Well, I've worked a long time in that church. It's time for the younger ones to take over. I've worked a long time. I've been faithful and serving, and not once did anyone ever say thank you. I just couldn't support the decisions the leadership was making, so I went somewhere else. I just felt like, like I wasn't needed anymore, so I left. I overheard someone saying some things about me that just weren't true, so I, I, I quit. They didn't even consider my ideas or my suggestions, so I quit. And over and over again, the scriptures call us to persevere to endure hardship, to stand firm, to hang in there, to be faithful even to the point of death. Paul wrote in Galatians 6 verse 9, he said, Let us not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't quit. If we don't give up is the idea. And Demas, Demas, where are you? Well, he's not in church anymore. You know why? Because Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.10, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. He left the church because he loved the world. He left Christianity, turned his back on Jesus, and returned to the world. What is it James says? about loving the world. James 4, 4 says, You adulterous people, don't you know friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And I've known a lot of people through the years who, in my judgment, fit in this category. Never completely sold out to Christ, never fully surrendered to Him, and it wasn't long until they were gone. They chose worldly pleasure over spiritual pleasure. They chose the things of the world over the things of God. They're just like the thorny soil that Jesus spoke about in Luke 8, verse 14. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. Now, I've seen a lot of people like that. You probably have too. But is that you? Is this where you're at today? Are you choosing the things of the world over the things of God? And if so, you're headed for destruction. 
because the things of this world are temporary. They won't last. But those who forsake the things of the world and hold on to Christ, (laughs) they're going to have rewards that are out of this world. And don't get me wrong, it's not wrong to have things. But it's wrong when the things have us. And you know what I'm talking about. Don't go back to the world. You stand firm and solid in Christ. Well, I'm out of time. There's a lot more in the Bible, a lot more people that you could do the same thing with. But where are you at today? Are you hiding like Adam and Eve because of sin? Are you, have you withdrawn and in seclusion, hiding because of discouragement like Elijah? Are you totally swallowed up in circumstances like Jonah because you disagreed with God and now you've disobeyed him? Are you keeping your distance like Peter so people won't know you're a follower of Christ? Are you in the kitchen so busy with life you're missing what is best? Are you back home like Mark because he quit? Have you forsaken Christ like Demas and gone back to the world? Where are you? My prayer is that you would be where the Apostle Paul was in 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8, because he was right where he should have been. He was at the end of his life on earth, and here's what he said. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. And now there is in the future the crown of life, the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all those that have loved or longed for his appearing. And that's where I want to be at the end of my life. Whenever that will be, I don't know when that will be. Today, tomorrow, years from now, I don't know, neither do you. But that's where we should strive to be, confident in our salvation and assured of our eternal home. Where are you? If you're not where you need to be, you can get there this morning and leave here being in the right place. But the decision is yours. If you have a decision you'd like to make for Christ today, you can meet me down front as we stand and sing.